0: Welcome to BDO2GO, to casual industry conversation brought to you by the restaurant industry professionals at BDO. The constantly evolving landscape of the industry forces operators and owners to adapt quickly and maintain a keen awareness of consumer and economic shifts. Understanding these business impacts and insights is key to the continued success and resilience of the restaurant industry. That's why we crafted our new BDO2GO podcast series, a monthly podcast that you can take to go. Now, here's your host, Jeff Tuba.
1: Well, welcome back to another episode of the BDO2Go Restaurant Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Tuba, and I appreciate you tuning in for new insights and discussions on the restaurant industry. You can find our episodes on iTunes and Spotify, and we really encourage you to hit the subscribe button and automatically download our episodes as they come out. Uh, We welcome you also to rate our podcast, and we hope you enjoy the content we bring uh, and take it with you on the go. Our goal at this podcast is to talk to great people in a great industry and share their experiences and expertise with all of you who are listening. Well, today we have Mike Axiotis joining us. Uh, Mike's the president and CEO of Lehigh Valley Restaurant Group. Uh, It's a Red Robin franchisee based in Eastern Pennsylvania. Uh, He's been with the company for more than 22 years, and he worked his way up through the ranks. Uh, Mike also serves as the chair of the National Restaurant Association's Restaurant Advocacy Fund. So, Mike, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.
1: So, Mike, let's start. Obviously, let's talk about Lehigh Valley Restaurant Group, uh, your history there. Uh, You've been with the company, like I said, twenty-two years. You started as an assistant manager. What is it about the company that's kept you there for that long? And what is it on the flip side about your leadership and maybe your results over the years that's really helped to propel you into the position that you have today?
2: Well, thank you for asking me that question. Uh, I get that question asked often, and Um, The short answer is the people and the culture and uh, the brand as well. The Red Robin brand has been uh, a great brand for the uh, 20 20 plus years that I've been around. Um, We've seen explosive growth um, uh, over these past 20 years, not only from the brand uh, and the franchisor, but also Lehigh Valley Restaurant Group and um, the the career path that I've had the experience to, uh, to grow and, and move up has kept me around as well. And I think that's important for people when they know that they're learning, that they're growing, that they're advancing, that keeps people engaged. Um, and for me, I, I had a five-year plan when I joined this company. Uh, I came from an independent back- background where I grew up in a family uh, business, a family Uh, restaurant operation. Uh, And then I was a partner with my family uh, in a restaurant before coming over to Lehigh Valley Restaurant Group. And this was in the mid to late 90s when chain restaurants and franchises were really starting to come on the scene. And as an independent restaurant, they were taking market share from us. And I wanted to really see what they did and learn what they did and how they did it and basically you know steal all of the uh, the trade secrets and then go back off on my own again to try to uh, get back in the independent space and utilize a lot of the skills and talents that I would I would obtain from working in a chain environment and when I joined Lehigh alley restaurant group uh, they they were just getting started they just started um, it was Steve Hanslick who was our Uh, founder and president at the time. He has since passed away from leukemia uh, a decade ago. And Steve uh, was a great man, a great leader, uh, understood uh, leadership, and he understood business. And and, and I like that about him. And so when I came in on the ground floor, I started as an assistant manager and worked my way up through the ranks and was giving a lot of responsibility and a lot of opportunity to go out and be a part of new restaurant openings, be a part of turnaround situations, and then grow within all of the different levels of the organization from frontline manager up to general manager, to then multi-unit manager, to then vice president of operations, and now today, president and CEO of Lea Valley Restaurant Group.
1: Yeah, it's funny. You mentioned the, uh, Stealing ideas and secrets. I think these days, when when I talk to restaurant uh, owners and operators, I think they call it restaurant research now, yeah. where they you know they go out and they you know it's like hey we're we'll going out and have a meal. And we're going to go to the competition and we're just going to sit and just observe what they do, check out their quality, what are they doing, and you know you're able to do that so freely with other restaurants now. You just go and eat there, um, and so I think you know. But they always call it restaurant research uh, now, is I think the the coined phrase.
2: That's a better term, a much better term, absolutely. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, so, you know, Mike, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile because I, I do, you know, we're connected on LinkedIn and I love seeing a lot of the the things you post and the advocacy you do, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But your profile had something on it that I thought was something re- that we really need to talk about. There's a quote. It says the difference between service and hospitality is that oh. service is what people expect. Hospitality entails doing special things they don't expect. We are in the hospitality business. And that really struck a nerve with me uh, because you want to make it more about. Just what people expect when they come to a restaurant. How do we go above and beyond? How do you and your employees live employees live that out day to day? And and what what can others learn from what you guys do?
2: Yeah, and and I know that you know we're very focused on the restaurant and hospitality industry today, but I think that that philosophy transcends to other businesses as well. Um, any kind of company or business can uh, adopt a hospitality mindset. And it all starts with how you treat your employees, which we call team members here uh, at Lehigh Valley Restaurant Group. Everyone's part of the team. And I don't think that your guest experience could ever exceed um, the team member experience. And what I mean by that is that the the better you take care of your team members and treat them with hospitality, treat them with uh, mutual trust and respect, that will then translate over to the guest experience. And if you have a company culture where you treat your team members poorly, your guests are going to be treated poorly as well. And I believe that is what separates us from our competition. Not everyone can duplicate or copy that. I can go and do restaurant research and I can copy somebody's recipe or I can copy um, someone's you know, operating footprint or their architecture. And I can build the most beautiful restaurant or I could have the, the highest quality food on my menu. But if we don't have a, a strong culture where team members feel um, appreciated and feel loved and feel like they're being taken care of, they're never going to go above and beyond to do that for the guest. And I believe that's what separates us uh, from our competition. Um, and and I'm, I'm a firm believer in it. And we really have that, that strong culture within our restaurants. And I want to share a story with you that uh, way back, uh, you know, at the beginning of this pandemic, uh, when we lost 90% of our revenue overnight, we had to furlough 90% of our workforce And we had to cut people's compensation so that we could readjust our model to sustain temporarily the uh, sales that were coming in. And we did that, like, literally within a 24-hour period. And when we pulled our team together to have that conversation and to communicate to them what we had to do in order to survive um, the, the, the pandemic, And what we said was our number one goal is to retain as many of our people as possible and keep our company intact so that on the backside of this pandemic, we could once again thrive and compete. And our number one goal was not to close any restaurants and not to lose any of our key people. And I'm proud to say that today um, we, we accomplished that goal. And even after we furloughed and cut people's pay, we then eventually brought them back and restored their compensation to their normal levels. We didn't lose anybody. And I am a big believer that the reason that we didn't lose anyone is because we have that hospitality mindset and that culture uh, to take care of our teams. And it was already in place. If, If you tried to put it in place after the fact, Uh, it was too late. We already had that culture there and we were able to retain those people. And um, I believe that the reason that we have been able to navigate through this pandemic is because of that culture.
1: You know, you you talked about how that transcends. And I I really feel that because at BDO, you know, every company has their core values. and, And one of ours is people first. And I've always told people, if you care about the people that work with you and for you, and fight for them when they need you to fight for them, support them with what they need, they will work harder for you. Uh, and I've seen that happen over the years. And I, I've always held that core value of BDOs the highest, just because of what exactly what you're saying. I think if, if you really show them that you're in this with them, you care about them. Yes, we're working together and providing a service for somebody else, but I care about you. That transcends the service you're doing and keeps those people engaged.
2: Absolutely, yeah. So, Can I share another story with you? I, absolutely. I'm so excited about this. I get very passionate when we talk about this is uh, some other things that we did during the pandemic for our furloughed team members and our team members that were working, everyone. Um, you know, obviously we we had lots of food that we weren't going to be able to use. Um, we had already ordered it. Our coolers and our storage facilities were stocked with food and A lot of this is perishable and has a short shelf life. When your revenue drops and you have excess inventory, you either have to freeze it or discard it. And we were not going to freeze or discard this food. So we came up with the LVRG, and LVRG stands for Lehigh Valley Restaurant Group, the LVRG Food Pantry. And one of our general managers actually came up with the idea for his own particular unit. And when he shared that story with us, uh, he basically set up his dining room because the dining rooms were closed. He set his dining room up as a uh, makeshift grocery store. And he called all of his team members and told them, come in here and do your grocery shopping here for free. We did not charge them. Uh, Obviously, our team members were out of work. They weren't bringing in money. They had to feed their families. And we wanted to put our, our inventory to great use. Uh, so when he shared that story with us, we um, we shared it with everyone else, and then we set it up as a company uh, initiative. And it it carried on not only just during that short term period to burn through that inventory, but then throughout the pandemic, while we were closed for fifteen weeks for indoor dining, and a lot of our staff was laid off we went to our shareholders and uh, the Lehigh Valley Restaurant Group shareholders um, invested money into a fund so that we could continue to buy groceries and um, uh, consumer staples for our team members. And we had these makeshift grocery stores set up in our restaurants for 15 weeks. And um, a couple times a week, team members would come and go as they were able to. And uh, they did their grocery shopping in our restaurant, so that they could feed their families.
1: Yeah, it's like you're a restaurant, but you're in the people business. You know, you, you know, at, at the heart of it. Let's switch over and talk about your role with the National Restaurant Association and and the work that organization's been doing. You know, you're currently the chair of the association's Restaurant Advocacy Fund, uh, which promotes the industry at state and local levels. How did you get involved, and maybe tell us some of the specific things that um, you and the National Restaurant Association really advocated for this past year through the through the pandemic.
2: My work on uh, policy issues and advocate advocacy uh, issues for the restaurant industry began at the state level. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about that first and then I'll cut over to the national side. Um, so I, I began serving, At the local chapter level of the Pennsylvania Restaurant and Lodging Association um, about seven or eight years ago. And I was quickly elevated to the chapter president. And then I was asked to serve at the state board level. Um, And John Longstreet uh, is the president and CEO of the Pennsylvania Restaurant and Lodging Association. He and I have forged quite a relationship over these past uh, five years. And um, every state restaurant association CEO um, has the opportunity to nominate someone at the board level, at the state level to serve on the national level. And John nominated me to serve and represent Pennsylvania um, at the the national level. So back in uh, 2017, I went through the interview process and was uh, elected to the uh, National Restaurant Association Board. Uh, My first year serving was in 2018, and uh, they are three-year terms. So I just wrapped up my first term and have been asked to come back and serve for a second three-year term beginning here in 2021. Um, In my first three years, I was asked to serve on several committees. I was asked to serve on the Restaurant Advocacy Fund, and um, uh, moved up to the chair role of that committee. I also serve on the Richard E. Marriott Golf uh, Invitational, which is the Restaurant Advocacy Fund's largest um, um, fund. You know, raiser it raises the most funds for for the Restaurant Advocacy Fund. Um, and then uh, this year, now in two thousand and twenty one, I, I was asked to chair the restaurant advocacy strategy committee. So there's two arms. There's the fundraising arm, and then there's the strategy uh, arm, which figures out, okay, how are we going to spend this money? What uh, issues do we want to go after? And if I may, I'll just talk a little bit about the fund and what we do. Uh, Our mission is to build strong advocacy at the state and local level. So whatever the issue is, we need the Restaurant Advocacy Fund to be in a position to win legislative battles. And we rely on contributions from those who work within and are associated within the restaurant industry. So it's, it's important that contributing to the Restaurant Advocacy Fund, it provides our industry with the necessary resources for advocacy at state and local levels.
1: So, like, it sounds like if people want to get involved, there's a lot of people that, that they want to fight for restaurants, but, you know, maybe they call their local representatives and try and do things that way. But it sounds like maybe your recommendation would be get involved, find your uh, maybe your local regional state association, get involved there as your initial entrance into finding your best place and navigate through that to find out how you can best advocate for the restaurant industry. Would that be a correct statement?
2: Absolutely. It all starts at the state and local level. So, uh, regardless of what state you're in, every state has a very active restaurant association. Um, and, and we play hand in hand with the national restaurant association. So if you pay your, your member dues to your state, that automatically puts you in as a member of the national restaurant association. Um, They work very closely together and hand-in-hand, and whenever there is a state problem, the state reaches out to the National Restaurant Association, and then the Restaurant Advocacy Fund steps in to come in and help fight those battles. So let me just give some examples of things, uh, issues pre-COVID. I'll give some pre-COVID issues that the RAF has a hand in uh, advocating for, and then some new upcoming issues. Uh, wage and tip wage. Um, you know, there's the federal wage and then there's the state wage. Um, the the RAF will come in. Recently, Florida was pushing for a $15 an hour wage. The RAF fund put up quite a bit of money, a six-figure number, that went to the Florida Restaurant and Lodging Association to help advocate and and, you know, fight off that $15 an hour wage. Unfortunately, I believe it was passed, but it wasn't just passed unilaterally with tomorrow you're going to $15 an hour. There was a phased in approach and the tip wage was able to be saved. So there are some wins, uh, paid sick leave, uh, right here in our, in our state of Pennsylvania, uh, the city of Pittsburgh and the city of Philadelphia, um, put in a a paid sick leave. The RAF came in, helped fund Pennsylvania uh, with a large sum of money to help uh, fight the paid sick leave. And we were able to win those battles. And now someone will say, well, I don't have a restaurant in Pittsburgh or I don't have a restaurant in Philadelphia. It starts there and then it bleeds to the rest of the counties and municipalities or even eventually the state. So, you know, a lot of these battles now are being fought at the grassroots level. Um, some other things like, you know, scheduling mandates, packaging, straws, environmental issues, privacy and data breach, health care, uh, children's meals and beverage legislation, expanded menu labeling, sodium and sugar. You know, we had the sugary drink tax that was passed in Philadelphia, Um Sexual harassment legislation. Uh, There's a push for blood alcohol level to be brought down to 0.05. Cashless transaction bans. Third party delivery fees. Uh, There's even natural gas bans that are even um, starting to see some movement uh, over on the West Coast in California. I mean, think about this. Restaurants need natural gas to cook. So if you you, you ban natural gas, how does a restaurant operate? How do they cook food and meals for their customers? And that's just, you know, the high-level issues that were being fought pre-COVID. Some new and emerging issues, reopening guidelines. Uh, Are they here to stay? You know, reopening means reopening. Uh, Some municipalities and governments want to keep those reopening guidelines in play for the foreseeable future. It really puts a a big governor uh, on restaurants' abilities to drive sales, uh, essential worker protections, hazard pay, new taxes, liability arbitration, workers' compensation tied to COVID-19, off-premise alcohol regulations, outdoor dining expansion, and COVID-19 recovery efforts are on the horizon. Uh, the National Restaurant Association has uh, a, an awesome team of talented uh, legislators, uh, marketing people to help create websites. There's a website that was created uh, that's, that is that uh, is labeled Why Tipping Works. Uh, you know, with this whole $15 an hour and the elimination of the tip credit, there's a, a website. Check it out. It's my www.ytippingworks.com, and it helps educate uh, folks, legislators, on uh, what is the tip credit, uh, how does it work? Because there's a lot of misconception out there about, well, how can you pay people two thirteen or two eighty three an hour? They really aren't making two thirteen or two eighty three an hour. They're really making much more than that because the tipped uh, wage. Um, you know is is impacted by that. So there's a lot of great things at the National Restaurant Association and specifically the Restaurant Advocacy Fund do to help come in and and advocate and help you know mitigate some of these state and local policy issues. They don't make them go away, but we somehow f- try to find a common ground where we have a win-win situation where Um, some of these policy issues get to move forward, but they don't move forward as they're initially um, laid out to be.
1: And I think it's helpful for people just to understand what you guys are out there fighting for, Um, you know, because again, you just listed out these issues. It's not one or two. It's always a large group and it's all over the country. And we see things changing in different markets, like you said, and somebody may be sitting in the central part of the US saying, well, nothing's changing here. Well, just wait. Like you said, it passes in one area or another and it just starts to spread. So, Mike, let's let's end with a forward looking question Um, with everything you and Lehigh Valley Restaurant Group have been through this past year. Everything you're discussing and advocating for at the National Restaurant Association level, what things are here to stay long term as a result of what's gone on through the pandemic? You know, so what will be different long term versus before the pandemic hit?
2: That's that's a great question. I think um, there's a couple of answers to that. Um, I'll speak specifically about um, the casual dining full service industry, and then I'll talk about it at, at industry as a whole. And it's really more about operating standards. So cleanliness, safety, and sanitation. The restaurant industry as a whole has always been on the forefront of health, safety, and cleanliness, but even more now with COVID, people are much more aware of sanitation. They're, you know, wearing gloves and wearing masks and using hand sanitizers. And early on, before we knew a lot about this virus, you would see a lot of other retail and grocery stores step up their game. They were sanitizing carts. They were wiping down the um, the belts where you put your product on at the grocery store. Um, They were socially distancing and they were controlling the number of people that go in and out of their restaurants or their grocery stores or their retail facilities. But more specifically on the sanitation piece, what I have noticed personally going out and visiting these establishments, and I don't want to name any of them because I don't want to disparage any of them, but they came out of the gate with a really high intensity level of sanitizing physically in front of the consumer, which made the consumer feel comfortable about utilizing their brand. Now what I've noticed outside of the restaurant industry at these establishments is that they have relaxed those standards. And now I hear people talking about it and saying, you know, I used to go to this grocery store, or I used to go to this retail facility and I used to physically see them spraying down the carts, wiping down the belts, um, you know, really being diligent about the the cleanliness and the sanitation of their establishment. And now I don't see them doing that. I don't like that and I don't feel comfortable about that. Now, in the restaurant industry, um, we're held to a much higher standard. And what I've noticed is that most restaurants are still keeping up that level of intensity. I've noticed that some may have kind of relaxed that standard for whatever reason. Maybe they're having trouble staffing their locations or maybe the owner, operator, or manager just isn't as you know, diligent on that. But I can tell you that in our brand, we are keeping up with that intensity level. And when you read social media scores and you read comments or web comments, that is what most of the chatter is about. And I think those are the table stakes just to stay competitive and in the game, and it's the right thing to do. So I believe that is here to stay in our industry. And for those that don't keep up that level of intensity, I think they're going to have a problem maintaining uh, sales and traffic in their, in their restaurants. Um, so that's the industry as a whole within the full service sector and the casual dining sector. Um, we have reduced our menu size. I believe that's here to stay. We have seen a lot of benefits and there is a silver lining to that. Um, we, we over our menus over the years and we just kept adding and adding and adding uh, thinking that that was the way to stay competitive. But really, um, what we did was we took a page out of the, you know, quick service casual dining segment where they have much smaller menus and they're able to execute and do what they do really, really well and repeat it over and over again. What we have seen is that our guest satisfaction scores have increased since reducing our menu. And we reduced our menu by about 30%. And that seems to be the norm in the casual dining sector. I think some have done a little more than that, but the average seems to be about a 30% to 35% reduction in number of menu items. What that has done is that's given us the ability to, uh, manage our inventory better, uh, produce the food a lot faster, um, out of the kitchen which means now the guest is going to get hotter food quicker. Um, it has given us the ability to operate with less people in the, the kitchen. So you have less people on the line. And really, the, I, the objective was not to reduce labor, but it was the availability of labor. There is not an availability of labor out there. Everyone I'm talking to and within our organization is running at about 20% vacancy right now because there just aren't enough people out there that are looking for jobs in our industry. So by having less menu items, you don't need as many people on the line to operate and execute your menu. Uh, So that's kind of the silver lining. I believe that's going to be here to stay in the the foreseeable future.
1: Those are great insights, Mike. Thanks for sharing all of that. And Mike, thanks so much for being with us today to talk about, you know, experiences both as an operator and an advocate. Uh, we appreciate the work that you and the rest of the people that are involved in the National Restaurant Association are continuing to do to help propel the industry forward through some really extremely challenging times. So thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it.
2: It's my pleasure. And if I may, before we end, I'd like to just make a plug for BDO. I know you didn't ask me to do this, but I want to do it because Um, you have been great partners to us throughout this pandemic. And that's something that uh, I think is very important is to have a great legal and financial advisor uh, in our industry because um, I get a lot of phone calls from a lot of different operators of all shapes and sizes. And two things that I've had to consult people on is how do you navigate through the PPP uh, funding? How do you take advantage of the ERTC credits? How are you handling um, your team members with COVID nineteen? And um, I think you always have to have a great financial partner and a great legal partner. And BDO is def has definitely been a long-standing partner of Leah Valley Restaurant Group, and uh, we tap into your. Uh, resources often on navigating through the PPP loans initially on how to obtain them. And then second, how to utilize those funds. And then third, how do you apply for forgiveness? And now here we are again on round two, uh, second phase, and um, you've been a great partner to us. So I know you didn't ask for it, but I do want to make sure that I give you uh, and your team the proper uh, um, accolades for what you've done for us.
1: Uh, we appreciate that. and We appreciate the partnership with you guys as well. So thank you to everyone who's listening. Uh, Mike, again, thanks again for joining us today. And again, please uh, listen to this episode and then also check back for future episodes as we move forward.
2: Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to BDO to go past episodes and related insights are available at BDO.com BDO to go, or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate review, share or subscribe to this podcast. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO for more information on BDO's restaurant industry practice and the resources we provide visit www.bdo.com restaurants.